Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. And first of all, just mention, just I want you to notice that our series is the ministry of Jesus. And last week, Brock talked about the kingdom of God. And next week, we're going to talk about deliverance. And then we'll be talking about healing, talking about multiplication. And right in the middle of this, we're talking about prayer as part of the ministry of Jesus, which may not seem like it's intimately connected, but we're going to see that it is, that it is part and parcel of Jesus' ministry. So it would make sense that we'd want to actually, you know, stop and pray if we're going to talk about prayer. So Jesus, I would ask that you would come and teach us this morning. Would you open up your heart to us? Would you open up this backdrop to us? Would you let us see you? We've worshiped you. We've prayed to you already this morning. We've talked to you. Now will you show us the Father like you did? Thank you. Thank you for all you do. As I was getting ready to get into this, and I was, went on a hunt to find how and when Jesus prayed, because rather than talking about what Jesus taught about prayer, we wanted to see Jesus in action. And I realized as I did that, that looking for this is kind of like going on a treasure hunt, because there's not massive stories about Jesus praying, with the exception of John 17, which is an entire prayer that he prayed. But other than that, you see little tiny mentions scattered throughout other stories. And if you're not actually looking for them, they just kind of whiz right on by. So what we're going to do to start with is take a whirlwind tour of some of those stories. So buckle up, get ready to go. You're not going to have a chance to look at all of these in your Bible because we will be going through them so quickly. So just watch up on the screen. And I just want to show you times that Jesus prayed. But as we go through these, start looking for Jesus. We're not just going through scripture. We're saying, Jesus, show us who you are. Show us what you did. Let us see you in action. So start noticing Jesus as we go through this. The first thing I want to talk about is that Jesus had a habit of prayer. And so we're going to see this in action, this habitual, ongoing prayer that Jesus had. And the first place that we see it is he had a personal and private prayer habit. Over and over again, we see him doing prayer in a very personal and private way. So listen to these passages. The first one is, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then it goes on with the rest of the story. Doesn't tell us what he prayed or anything. The next one is in Luke 5. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So all these crowds are coming around him, and Jesus is backing off from them often, a lot, regularly, and going out and praying. In Luke 6, tells us of an incident 
One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And in this one, we see Jesus going out overnight and spending the entire night out on a mountain praying. Now, we have a hint, maybe, of what he was praying about. When he comes back in in the morning, he chooses disciples to be called apostles. Is there a connection between the two? The the text seems to make that connection, but we want to hold it loosely because we don't know. All we know is that Jesus spent a long, long time in prayer, and it was personal, and it was private with him and the Father. But he didn't only pray in those ways. There are a few times where we see mentions of him praying in the middle of something. And again, it just slides by unless you're looking for it. One of those is when he was healing a man who was deaf and mute. This happens in Mark 7. And you might recognize this story. Remember the guy who said, I believe, help my unbelief? Well, that was the father um, of this boy. No, actually, that's a different story. So sorry, confused you, forget that. Different story. We're going to see that one later. Um, This one is in Mark 7. There were some people who brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to put his hand on this man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. By the way, these are not ministry team models that we teach. (laughs) This is not how we teach people to do prayer. This is what Jesus did. There's mysteries in Scripture. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Did you see the prayer in there? It happened very quickly. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, there was some kind of interaction that he had going on with the Father and there was something that was generating that deep sigh and we don't know what it is. That's all we get. But something was going on. The next one is a little bit more clear. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And you've got 5,000 people who are super hungry. Jesus has five loaves and two fish, and he's going to turn that into bread and food for that entire crowd of 5,000-plus people. And here's how he did it. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So again, there's something going on where he, Jesus, is doing something heavenward that we're not informed about. It's just mentioned. Slides in there. We're not sure what it is. What's interesting to note that thing of he looked up to heaven and gave thanks, it happens every time he breaks bread. At the Last Supper, he gives thanks to the Father and breaks bread. At the Um, two disciples where he was meeting them on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and he went and had dinner with them and he broke bread. He gave thanks and broke bread. That was part of his Jewish heritage of praying continually and always, this habitual giving thanks. And by the way, habit is not a bad thing when it comes to prayer. 
We need those kind of habits to ground our lives. They sustain and carry us. Then we start seeing a few more explicit mentions of prayer. And this one is the casting out demon with the I believe, help my unbelief guy. So in this story, um, Jesus' disciples have tried to cast out a demon. They couldn't do it. The father is distraught, comes to Jesus, and Jesus takes care of it. And we pick this up from Mark 9. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now I want you to look at that account again. Where was the prayer? You deaf and mute spirit, Jesus said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. Where was the prayer? It doesn't say. I think that is fascinating. I want you to ponder that. Something is going on that we don't see on the onstage moment. It might have been something that was happening between Jesus and God in the moment. It might have been background prayer. All those nights Jesus spent praying to the Father gave him authority that he was operating with in ministry, but it didn't happen in the moment. I love this mention because it leaves some things there for us to not understand immediately and to have to go to God and say, could you help me with this? I want to explore this. I want to dig into this mystery. God loves to be explored. God loves to be explored. Go explore God. There's questions that he left all over scripture for us to explore. This next one, finally it gets a whole lot more obvious with Jesus and prayer than it ever has been up until this point. This is right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. So they're all gathered in front of the tomb. Jesus, um, if you remember the story, Mary and Martha had sent for Jesus to come, and Jesus delayed long enough for Lazarus to actually die. He didn't come and heal him. And after Lazarus had been dead for four days, Jesus shows up. And they all go out to the tomb, and Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And here's how he does it. This is in Luke 11. So they took away the stone from the tomb. And so right there, we are talking, the crowd is gathered. They have this tomb. There's a guy in it who's dead. And right, they've rolled the stone away. And right there and then, Jesus stops to pray. And here's what he said. Finally, we see him. Then Jesus looked up. So we see the looking up again. But then we actually get to hear the prayer. And he's praying out loud for a very obvious reason. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So right there, Jesus was determined, I am not going to go forward with this magnificent miracle and let people not understand what's going on here. Somehow, Jesus had been talking with God, with the Father, about this. Look at what he said. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So there was something that Jesus had said to the Father, and the Father heard him. And Jesus knew that he was always heard by the Father, and he wanted to make it clear and obvious to everyone else. Hey, this isn't just me doing this. The Father sent me. This passage gives us this window into something going on here. All these little mentions of prayer, looking up to heaven, going out to spend the night out on the mountain by himself, um, praying somehow in relationship to casting out a demon. And now here we see him looking up to heaven, making it clear and obvious, and raising this man from the dead. And what you start to see again and again and again is that there's this thing Jesus is doing on stage, but then back here, off stage, something magnificent is going on with the Father that is fueling everything Jesus does out there. And every once in a while, Jesus pulls back the curtain and lets us see this. But if we miss this place back here that is fueling Jesus' entire ministry, we miss what's going on. Because the reality is Jesus didn't just have a prayer habit. He prayed because he had a relationship with the Father. So the prayer was not just, I pray because I should. He prayed because he was in intense, loving, constant communion with the Father. And if you're going to live that way, you are going to pray. So the prayer is the outgrowth of something. So we want to look at that and see what is this the outgrowth of. And there is this interplay and relationship between prayer and relationship. Prayer and relationship. Prayer and relationship. We have talked a lot this morning about opening ourselves up to God. There is an interplay between all of that and prayer. There's an interplay between prayer and opening yourself up to God. So we want to look at this interplay. In the first place we see it, and when you look at this, you go, oh, well, then of course Jesus did ministry the way he did it. His ministry started, we kind of look at the inauguration of his ministry when John the Baptist baptized him. So John the Baptist is gathering crowds of people who are coming, and John is proclaiming the kingdom of God is here, and he's baptizing people. And Jesus was one of the people who came to John the Baptist to be baptized. And there's again one of those tiny little mentions sitting right here in this small story that you almost miss unless you see it. This is how Jesus' entire ministry began. John the Baptist went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Did you see that sequence? Right there in the middle of his baptism, Jesus is praying. He's going through this and experiencing this intimately with God. And as he's praying, heaven itself opens up. The Holy Spirit descends in some kind of form that was something like a dove. Um, You can see the writer struggling to try to find language for that. And the Father speaks from heaven with affirmation, responding to Jesus and saying, You are my beloved Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. If this is how Jesus' entire ministry started, we can then assume, of course, this is how it's going to continue. This is the foundation, the energy for everything Jesus does. And I want you also to notice there, up until now, we have mostly seen this Jesus prayed. And here we see the Father, Jesus prayed, and the Father responded. That is essential. Most of us kind of have our first interaction with prayer in the form of a monologue or a one-way prayer, us to God. And one of the things God is opening up and inviting us into is a two-way form of prayer. That's a dialogue. Us to God and God to us. We've all heard of prayer as a conversation, and I really do think God wants it to be a conversation. Not me merely talking to God, but me then pausing and allowing God to give space to communicate to me. That One shift was a revelation for me about 15 or 20 years ago, and it changed my life. Because for me, prayer had been a monologue. I said a lot of stuff, and then I went on. My life got upended when I said a lot of stuff, stopped, let God say some stuff, responded to what God said, stopped, let God say some more stuff, responded. That's when my heart began to shift and get engaged. And that's part of the thing that Jesus is modeling for us, that there is this this interaction. If we could see how Jesus lived, we would see this continual flow between him and the Father, this continual flow that then had this outflow. It wasn't that he had an outflow and therefore he prayed. He prayed, he lived with the Father, and therefore, there was the outflow. Listen to how Jesus talks about his ministry. Like, if Jesus had a ministry philosophy, I don't know that he would ever use a term like that. This is what he would say about it. So this is in John 5, and Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath and told him to pick up his mat and walk, and that really ticks off the religious leaders who are really upset that he told a man to pick up his mat and walk, which is a violation of Sabbath rules. And so Jesus is in this conversation with them about how and why he does ministry the way he does. Listen to what he says. Jesus gave them this answer. Verily, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He is living in such kind of communion and communication with God that he says, I only do what I see my father doing. If I see my father doing it, that's what I do. My father loves me, and so he shows me what he's doing. And I look at him, and I see him, and I love him, so I do what he's doing. Well, of course, Jesus then is going to spend a lot of time praying if that's how he's going to live. Now, we might look at that and go, oh, yeah, but it's Jesus. He's divine. He's a son of the Father. We often forget Jesus was also a human being in a human body with the same sense, human senses that we have, taste, see, touch, et cetera, et cetera, and the inner ability that we also have to, um, how do I put words to this? This is so hard. The ancients had a word they used called nous, N-O-U-S. It's a Greek word. And it's the inner um, capacity that we have apprehend or grab onto a sense of God and his presence. And what we do when we pray is we take that capacity and we point it toward God. And God developed us for this. You were made for this. And if this is going unused in you, that capacity is either going to go numb or dead or scarred or singed or it's going to get turned into other non-God spiritual areas. Those are part of the rocks that Sam was talking about in, as you're trying to grow the grass, that they will come up so that your inner capacity can be cleansed and purified and turned toward God just like Jesus. Granted, you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. But... He does open a way for us to be with him like that. Jesus geared everything he did, not to other human beings, but to the Father's glory. Everything he did, he geared toward the Father's glory. When Jesus was the last week of his life, he was wrestling in a very human way with the suffering and execution that was going to come to him at the end of that week. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is pouring out his heart to the Father. But earlier that week, he is already wrestling with what he knows is coming up. And he's talking to people. And listen to what happens. This is in John 12, right in the middle of his conversation. It tells you something about how he prays and how he thinks. And Jesus, he literally... Some guys have come to him and said, Hey, there's these people from Galilee. They want to see you. Would you... Would you They came to his disciples, and the disciples say, would you meet with them? And Jesus, instead of giving a direct answer, starts talking about what's about to happen. And here's what he says. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Hear him wrestling? His soul is troubled. Father, save me from what's coming with this cross and this execution and the beating and the trial. He's like, no, this is the reason I came. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. 
Well, the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So right in the middle of him wrestling, what am I going to do? What should I pray? What should I ask? Should I ask, Father, save me from this hour? Right in the middle of that, he switches perspectives, and he says a prayer, Father, glorify your name. That switch right there from a human perspective, save me, to this perspective Jesus had from all that time with the Father, Father, glorify your name. That is a switch that happens out of relationship. And we see this dialogue happening again where the Father hears and replies, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So as Jesus is getting closer and closer to death, these prayers are becoming more and more obvious and visible to everybody. Now, just as an aside, one of the reasons I love this account is that if you ever thought it would clear things up if God would just speak audibly from heaven and just settle things, this passage says that would not clear anything up. People literally heard God's voice from heaven. Some of them thought it was thunder. Some of them said, no, it was an angel. So, we just need to know that we can hear God as clearly as possible and not get it. So if you've ever worried about struggling to hear God, you are in good company. An entire crowd of people couldn't hear it when it happened. We've got a lot of stuff that gets in the way. Jesus did his entire ministry out of relationship with the Father, out of communion with the Father, for the Father's glory, and in communication with the Father. So, of course, he prayed. Now, we're looking at all of this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, but is this prayer? This, Father, glorify your name. I am glorifying it. Is that prayer? Well, here's what happens when we start to pray. A lot of us, um, well, some of our first introductions to prayer are asking God for something, for help, for something we need. That is absolutely what God wants us to do in prayer. Sometimes we get stuck, and that becomes the only context we have for prayer. Asking for direction, asking for provision, asking God to bless somebody or help somebody. And we stay in that mode. And what you find as you begin to enter into this two-way relationship is that prayer itself begins to expand. And at some point, the barriers and the, the lines between different kinds of prayer start to blur. And you're in communication with God, and you move into communion with God, and you move into asking God for something, and you move into, um, dare I even say it, telling jokes with God, having a chat with God, moving back into worship, moving back into asking, moving into petition, moving into spending silent time with God, and it becomes all part of not merely prayer, but relationship. Because this interplay of prayer and relationship is so strong that if all you have is prayer and not relationship, it's going to go dry pretty quickly. And if all you have is relationship, but not a whole lot of prayer going on, it's hard for me to, I don't even under, I I can't wrap my head around what that is. (laughs) Um, If you are in relationship with God, but not praying, or communing, or spending time with him at 
ever. I, I'm not sure how that works. You have to have these two back and forth building each other up. So prayer needs relationship to sustain and have life. Relationship needs prayer to breathe and to interact. You need these two things working together, and it's with the Father. And I really felt that God was saying, I want to open up to you the relationship with, Jesus was saying to us, I want to open up to you the relationship with the Father that I had with the Father, that Jesus was going to do that. We're going to skip um, Luke 12, and we're going to move straight into this last part of Jesus wanting to open up this relationship. I know we're not Jesus, but... Jesus is saying, just like you can't do anything without the Father, or just like I couldn't do anything without the Father, you can't do anything without me and without the Father. This relationship is part of what I am opening up to you. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then in the next chapter, he goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you want a fruitful ministry, abide in Jesus. Pray. If you want to do the Father's works, abide in Jesus. Apart from him, you can do nothing. If I were to make it really simple and you were to remember one thing from this, I would put it this bluntly. Don't do God's stuff without God. Don't do God's stuff without God. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't do God's stuff without God. I know we shouldn't have to be told that. I have to be told that. I can't tell you how often I am busy doing something for God and I realize I'm doing it without God, which seems a little bit foolish, but I do that. I fall into it all the time. So don't do God's stuff without God. If you want to even make it even more simple, don't do stuff without God. Just don't do stuff without God. God is good to have around. The Father is good to have around. Do the life with the Father. Do life out of relationship with the Father. And that's going to require prayer. So where do you start? Well, you start where Jesus does, and you get a habit of prayer. Habits are really, really good things. They are why probably I have all my teeth today. Well, that and my lovely dentist. Um, I have a habit of brushing my teeth. And you know how I got that habit? I th have this vague memory of, of being a child, and it involved a chart on the bathroom wall and checking it off, and there were milkshakes at the other end. Yes. Milkshakes were a big deal in our family because they did not happen very often, and they're probably not the reward you want for toothbrushing, but it worked. <laughs> I developed a habit that I needed. So develop a habit for prayer. I literally have a prompt that comes up on my phone every day at the same time that says prayer, 
Because if I don't have that, I won't remember. Get absolutely as basic as that. Why? Because you're going to face resistance. This place with the Father is so visceral and integral and powerful that it's going to be attacked by distraction again and again and again and again. Because if the enemy can keep you from praying, he can cut off your relationship with God and he can keep you powerless. That's one of the reasons prayer is so hard for all of us. You are going to face resistance. There will be days when it is boring, when it is dry. It is not an encounter. It simply feels dutiful, and you show up and you do it anyway because God is worth it. And that is part of what's going to sustain you through those times of resistance that you just need to expect. And you push through them, and on the other side is life again. But that doesn't happen if you don't develop the habit. On the other side, develop the relationship. Not just the habit, but develop the relationship. A big way to start, well, when the disciples said, Jesus, how do we pray? Show us how to pray. You know what he did? He gave them a prayer. Start there. At least pray that prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, we call it. We find it in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And he said, this is how you pray. And we could go through the whole thing, but I just want to camp on the very first things. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. If that's all you pray for the next year, you're good to go. Look at that, our Father in heaven. When Jesus prayed, he prayed not to God, not to the ceiling, not to a generic life force. He prayed to the Father. He prayed to Father. And so he, no wonder he tells us, when you pray, pray to our Father. Pray to our Father. This is a place where you get parented, where you get loved, where you get helped, where you get challenged, where you get advice and counsel and encouragement and compassion, our Father. Get the Father right, and you will get prayer right, and you will get ministry right. But it's not just our Father. It is our Father in heaven. So there is this intimacy and transcendence wrapped together in our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven is a king. He is powerful. He is transcendent. He is unknowable. He is all magnificent. He is Lord of lords and King of kings and Father. Work on those two things in your prayer. Our Father in heaven. Locate yourself with the Father in heaven. Everything looks different from there. And that's what the next phrase does. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here just as it is up there. You're locating yourself in heaven and you're saying, your will be done, not mine. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. I surrender to your kingdom. I want your kingdom. I want your will. I want things to be enacted here just like they are there. You can pray these things for anything, think of something that's on your mind this week right now. 
And we're just going to pray for it, this thing that's on your mind right now. I'm actually going to pray um, for the missionaries going into South Africa because we want to let this expand. And I'm going to pray for them with these things just to show you how I would do it and because I want to pray over them. Ashley and Yako and, and um, Jack, are you in here? Not sure if they are. Uh, there's Ashley. <laughs> okay, so Ashley and Yako and Jack Kilman are going to South Africa. And I want to pray for them with this prayer. And you can do this with anything you're concerned about. So our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would you be the father and the parent and the guide and the comforter for Ashley and Yako and for Jack as they leave and go halfway around the world from here? They are in your family and in your care. You are their father in heaven with all the power they need, with everything they need for what they're doing and where they're going. And we set apart your name as holy and we say they are yours. We consecrate them to you. May your kingdom come and your will be done in everything that they are facing and beginning as they begin this ministry. May your kingdom be central to what they're doing and everything that you've already seen in heaven that is your will for them and for their work in South Africa, would you enact it through them just as you've already seen it in play in heaven. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And I'm going to go ahead and pray the rest of it because it's just too good. Give them today their daily bread. Give them what they need. Provide for them. Give them what they need in the day. Forgive them their sins as they forgive those who sin against them. Reconcile them to each other. Keep the lines of communication short and simple and easy. Lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from the time of trial and from evil. God, I ask that you would protect them and deliver them from everything that would come against them. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen.